Come on back, find those seats. <clears throat> I feel terrible always. I know how Joe feels. You know, he has to do it every week, just breaking up the fun. It is, it is sweet to fellowship together and to say hello, maybe to someone you haven't seen in a few weeks or meet somebody new. So again, if you're new, welcome. And uh, it's a joy to gather back together. Um, as was mentioned earlier, my name's Shay. I'm one of the pastors here. Even though our order of service today said we were going to have a guest preacher, and people were kind of laughing, like, I guess I'm the guest preacher today, um, uh, which is fine. I'll be a guest. Um, well, as you already know, it's already been mentioned, you're well aware, it's the last day of the year. Uh, 365 days have passed. The earth will have successfully orbited the sun and tomorrow we will have a sort of restart in some sense to a, to a new year. It'll take us a little bit to start writing, you know, 2024 instead of 2023 on anything. Uh, uh, and, and, and honestly, being a, a California native as I am, um, every year on New Year's Day, um, growing up, I used to watch on KTLA 5, the Rose Parade in Pasadena. And so even tomorrow, uh, I already have plans. I checked it out so I could stream it. My kids and I are going to wake up. We'll be watching the Rose Parade, KTLA 5. That's the only place to watch it. Trust me on this. And uh, no commercials if you get up early. Um, but uh, that's what we do uh, on New Year's Day. But I think as we, as we reflect even on New Year's Day, uh, I think this is true that people always do a little reflection at the end of the year. Um, I know I do, and it, it kind of seems hard not to do some reflection. It, it, at the end of the year, we kinda, it's kind of easier to get a little space uh, and, and some freedom to, to reflect, or maybe on how we've lived, kind of looking back, and then maybe looking forward to some things, some things we, we might want to change. You know, work slows down a tiny bit, and maybe you're starting to see friends and family and you're thinking about things that matter, and again, you're just, you're kind of thinking about the future. And I think that's partly the reason why most people, or many people, will make New Year's resolutions. Because they're looking for a way to put a stake in the ground to go, all right, 2024, things are going to be different, as Joe even joked about earlier. By this time next year, I want to have A and B to be true in my life, or I want to change these things in my life. And I actually think that can be helpful. I mean, New Year's resolutions get a lot of bad rap, um, but, but there are rhythms to our lives that are a blessing from God. And the, and the resetting of the year is an opportunity for us to go, okay, let me, let me kind of hit the reset button and, and rethink what, what, what it is I want to be true in my life. And I'm actually genuinely grateful for this. I mean, I'm really genuinely grateful that many of you tomorrow are going to restart your Bible reading programs. <laughs> Right, you're going to attempt in 2024 to read your Bible. I think January 1st is probably the biggest day for reading the Bible of the year. I wish it was June 1st, but it's January 1st. Right? And some of you guys will jump on the treadmill tomorrow. And this, while it's cliche, these things are still good. And so as I was thinking about the end of the year and I was asked to preach today, I actually want to take you to the end of a book that I love, and that's the book of Ecclesiastes. You see it up on uh, the screen, and I want to take you to the end. To the end of the matter is how Solomon, who I believe wrote Ecclesiastes, put it. I've preached on, uh, from this book before, and, and just a couple years ago, I preached from this very pulpit the core message of Ecclesiastes, which I believe is this, that life is a gift, it's not gain. 
It's a gift. It's, it's not gain. That is, I believe, the message of this book. And while it's often a misunderstood book, I think this is a message that we need for the end of the year and the beginning of a new year. I mean, you already know that the book of Ecclesiastes is found among the wisdom literature in the Bible. I mean, we read earlier from the the wisdom literature that is Psalms. And I think more than anything else in 2024, what the church at large needs and what Redemption Hill Bible Church needs is wisdom, is wisdom. What every Christian needs is a greater understanding of wisdom and how to live wisely. In his little, tiny little book, you can probably read it in 10 minutes, What is Biblical Wisdom by R.C. Sproul, he says, speaking of the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the wisdom literature, he says this, for the Jew, wisdom meant an understanding, practically speaking, of how to live a life that is pleasing to God. It was the pursuit of godliness that was the central concern of the writers of the Hebrew wisdom literature. And as I read that, I thought to myself, well, is that what's on my list of things for the new year? Is it on your list this morning? Is living a life that is pleasing to God on your list of resolutions? Is the pursuit of godliness your central concern as you walk into 2024? Maybe another way to ask it is this, are you committed to living wisely in the new year? You may have committed to learning something new, but knowledge does not always equate to wisdom. Are you committed to, to wisdom? Is wisdom a top priority? Well, I trust for many of you that is, that is true, and you're either already committed to those things or you desire them to be true in your life. And so today what I want to do is give you some reminders some reminders from God's word that will help you live a wise life in 2024. And so my message today is just simply this, four biblical reminders for the new year that will enable you to live wisely. Four biblical reminders for the new year that will enable you to live wisely. So as I mentioned, we're going to look at the end here of Ecclesiastes, where the writer Solomon gives his final conclusions. And I've got four things for you. You'll see them up on screen. They're these, rejoice in your years. I think they're going to come up. Maybe they won't. <laughs> Rejoice in your years is number one. Number two, remove worry from your heart. Remove worry from your heart. Number three, remember your God. And number four, respond to God in worship and obedience. Respond to God in worship and obedience. Let's look at the first one together. It's this, rejoice in your years. Rejoice in your years. On the front end, I do want to make sure you understand this. I do believe that King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't believe that he is some crazy, pessimistic man lost trying to find his way. I don't believe that. I actually think the book of Ecclesiastes is much more joyful than that. And I think we're going to see it right here in chapter 11. Look down with me at verses 7 through 9. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There are here two commands 
in this text. Both of them are to rejoice. You see it there in verse 8. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And then again in verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. The command is simple. Rejoice in your years. Rejoice in your youth. I think what Solomon is after here, what he says is the wise way to live is to enjoy your years. I mentioned this, I preached on this a couple years ago, even from this pulpit, but this, this topic of enjoyment is all, all around this book. It's all over the place. You don't have to turn to these, but they're going to come up real quickly. But in Ecclesiastes 2.24, he says this, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment. Find enjoyment. Ecclesiastes 3.12, I perceive there's nothing better for them, that is all mankind, than to be joyful. Ecclesiastes 3.22, so I saw there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. Rejoice in his work. Ecclesiastes 5.18, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God's given him. Ecclesiastes 8.15, and I commend joy. I commend joy. There's nothing, there's, for man, there's nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him through the, the years of his life. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9, go, eat your bread with joy. Verse 9, enjoy, what, enjoy life with the wife with whom you love all the days of your vain life that has been given to you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. And then we come to chapter 11, and it's all about enjoyment. This is what Solomon's after. He's not pessimistic. He's actually very realistic. And we have that, that little verse in verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. We have this thought here about the sun, especially up here in Seattle, where we feel this in a physical sense all the, sun, all the time when the sun pops out. When you live in a place like Seattle, you know that seeing the sun is pleasant. It's a wonderful thing. I just had an opportunity to go down to California a couple weeks ago for a wedding. And two things happened. I remember one, I was sitting on a pier just reading my Bible and I came across this verse. It's my own normal Bible reading. And I laughed to myself, it is pleasant to see the sun. And then later at the wedding, someone said I was looking paler and I just <laughs> was sad about that. I need to see more of the sun. But Solomon's not necessarily talking about the sun itself. He's actually talking about our existence under the sun. He says, your existence is like light that is sweet. We have, and he's essentially saying, when we have tons of opportunity for enjoyment, for pleasure. Solomon is telling us that wise living means enjoying the now, enjoying the present, enjoying the daily aspects of our lives, rejoicing in all of our years, in all of our days. I've heard it said this, this way, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. Are you rejoicing in your days? Again, this is a theme for Solomon. Something he comes back to over and over and over. And that's why he says, so if a person lives many years, rejoice in them all. It really doesn't matter how many years God gives you, but it does matter how much you enjoy them. It matters. And he commands rejoicing, even though in verse eight, what did he say? He says, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. There's a contrast of light and darkness here. 
The days, yes, there's going to be light is sweet, but there's going to be days of darkness. What are these days of darkness? I think Solomon is actually talking about the aging process. He's talking about uh, the process of, of dying. He says the days of darkness will be many. I don't think he's specifically talking about the moment of death, but the, the process that comes into it. I think because of what he gets into in chapter 12, that what he's referring to here is, is suffering, old age. These are the days of darkness. Listen, I'm 39 and I feel this already. I know, I know. I appreciate that laughter. I mean, the days of my youth are quickly, it feels like, coming to an end, and the days of darkness are close at hand. I mean, I had to laugh this week almost to keep myself from crying. I saw two headlines from the, from the satire website, The Babylon Bee, just two headlines that I was like, oh, that is way too real. Here was the first one. It was titled this, and again, this is satire. Doctors confirm life after age 35 is just endless cycle of dieting and back pain until you die. The lead to the article is not much more helpful. According to medical professionals, people turning 35 years of age enter a new phase of life characterized by an endless cycle of dieting and back pain until the merciful release of death. <laughs> the second article, <laughs> which this is too close to home, it said this, 38-year-old man is in intensive care after getting down on the floor to play with his kids. <laughs> we can laugh, and I do, but that's just true. It's rough. It's rough sometimes with aging, but listen, listen, even as we consider how rough life can be, we can rejoice because not all the days are dark. Not all days are dark. Even though there are many, the light still shines through. It's still pleasant for the eyes to, to see the sun. There's still much to enjoy. So while you can, while the years come and go, we must rejoice in them. That is what Solomon is after. You think, Why? Why is that? Well, one reason Solomon gives is in verse 8. Look at the end of verse 8. He says, all that comes is vanity. He's returned back to his theme that he actually opened the book with, which was a famous word. You know them, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Some Bibles actually say meaningless, and I actually think that is super unhelpful. I don't think that Solomon... By using that word that's translated vanity means meaningless. I think what he means is it's vapor. He means that life is so quick. He means that life, the word means mere breath. It's a mere breath. That's what our, our lives are like. That's why it seems like the new year comes around so quickly more and more. Your life is a breath and you don't know. Listen, you don't know what the future holds. Listen, one reason why we must rejoice in our days is because we can't control our future. We can't control life. It's a, a vapor to us. It's a, it's a mere breath, except the only thing that we know the future holds is those days of darkness. As the teenage theologian Ferris Bueller said, life moves pretty fast. So it's not wise to wait for tomorrow. It's not wise to, to wait for the stars to align in your life, you must enjoy the day while it is today. Don't waste your day on an expectation of what might come in the future. We've got to enjoy the ordinary pleasures of life. Listen, here, I'll say it this way. Enjoy December 31st and don't look to January 1st. Enjoy today. Benjamin Shaw, 
In his little commentary on Ecclesiastes, commenting on this verse, he says this, when dark days come, we are to remember that they are part of the equation. The future is no more permanent than the past, and the future holds no guarantee that it will be better than the past or the present. We can look forward to the next day, thinking that the next day or the next day after or surely the day after that will bring the solution to our difficulties or the satisfaction that we desire, but to think that way and to live that way is to live in a fantasy world, end quote. Church, I don't want to live in a fantasy world. I want to live wisely as we even go into a a new year because there's no guarantee of those days. What we have is now, And so let's enjoy the sweet light. Enjoy what you can while you can. Life is to be enjoyed. Listen, not just endured. Not just endured. I hear people all the time, I'm just getting through this week, you know. Just getting through this day. I'm just getting through this season. Uh, I'm just getting through 2023, 2024. I mean, I heard people this week, 2024 is looking good. How do you know? I mean, Solomon wants to ask you that question. That's not wisdom. To be wise is to enjoy the days and the years God gives you. They are gifts from him. They're gifts from him. To not enjoy them, to not enjoy them is to not use God's gifts well. And we, too are, we are to enjoy these days. I mean, you know when you give a gift, you love to watch people open it and use it. We did it this week, didn't we? My kids are in there. I mean, we got my, my, my son a, this like can of like sparkling water that he always wants. And he was like, yeah! You know, like, like yes, I'm only gonna, I'm gonna spend two dollars next year. <laughs> that is so much enjoyment. But it'd be weird if my son was like, oh, cool, I'll just endure this. Right? I mean, it, it wouldn't be good. But that's sometimes how we respond to God's gift of life. And do you see how adamant Solomon is about this? Look down at verse nine. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Rejoice, says Solomon. Youth here is just a a relative term. If you're on this side of death, it seems in Solomon's eyes, you're young. You have life. So while you're young, make the most of it with every fiber of your being. Listen, Christian, there's lots of freedom for you. It's lots of freedom for you to enjoy your days. And I think Solomon gives a, a subtle warning here at the end of verse 9, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Listen, I've said it many times. Christians have the most fun because we get to enjoy life by faith. We get to enjoy life underneath God's wise and good restrictions. We don't overdo it, so to speak, in the Christian life. We do things, we have enjoyment inside of God's approval. And so we do this by faith. We don't live with the guilt and pain and the suffering that some people have when they abuse the gift of life. We have to enjoy it. We enjoy it in light of God's judgment. God's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not up there going, man, I'm just going to make it so it's just, I just have all these terrible things for you. Listen, does God allow suffering? Yes, he does. But life is a gift for you to enjoy. And you say, all right, Shay, I want to rejoice in my years. I want to enjoy my days. How do I do that? Well, look down with me at verse 10. Solomon answers this question for you. Look at it. He says this, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Secondly, this morning, remove, remove worry from your heart. We go from rejoicing to removing. Remove worry 
from your heart. In order to rejoice, we must remove worry. Remove vexation is the word in the ESV. What does it mean? Well, the word can mean just that. It can mean worry. It can mean anxiety. It really does mean both. Another way to express this is to remove grief and anger from your heart. Even earlier in Ecclesiastes, this word, same word is, is used, and it's the equivalent for sadness, so to remove sadness. And so maybe the best term we have is just to, to, to remove worry, or how about this, to set yourself free from worry. Worry is what happens when we think things are out of control, when we can't control life, right? When things are unknown to us, we worry, we become anxious, we fret, we become fixated. I mean, one commentator said it this way, worry is the fool's response to the vaporness of life. It's the fool's response. The fool gets bitter. The fool gets angry because life under the sun is, is so uncontrollable. And the fool can't manipulate the things of the world to serve his purposes. And, and, and so he worries. He doesn't understand, doesn't remember that God is ultimately sovereign. God is in control. So in order to rejoice, we have to remove worry. Listen, Christian, this is going to require great faith. This is going to require trust in God. This requires you to remember that God is in control. He's in the control tower of your life and he's not given tours. You have worries for 2024? I mean, I know it's an election year. You're like, oh. I was reading this week. I read a little book called Impossible Christianity. I got it for Christmas. I think I read it the same day. It's a great little book. But Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, he has a section that's titled Happy Christians in an Anxious Age. And he, and, he, and he says this, he says, it's one of the great paradoxes of our time. Almost everything is getting better, but we keep feeling worse. And, and he goes on for about three or four pages, little, little book, three or four pages, giving stats about how the world is getting better. I want to just give you a sample of some ways the world is getting better. He said this, the global population is, it, that was in extreme poverty was at 84% in 1830, less than 100 years ago. Sorry, 200 years. Is that right? Yeah, I'm good. 84%. But here, you know what it is at today? 8.6%. In 1950, we worked an average of 2,123 hours a year. In 2017, that number was down to 1,723, 400 hours less per year. The chance of a person dying in a natural catastrophe, an earthquake, flood, wildfire, epidemic has declined 99% over the last 100 years. The global literacy rate in 1820 was 10%. Today, it's at 90%. In 1820, the average life expectancy was 30. Now it's 72. I had to laugh just last night. Getting the kids in bed. My daughter, Avery, she's 12. She goes, oh, my wrist hurts. She's 12. My wrist hurts. And Bethany, my wife's like, oh, Avery, you're just getting older. And I started laughing. I was like, what? She's 12. And Avery, without missing the beat, she goes, well, that's why people back in the day got married at 12 because they died at 30. <laughs> she's not wrong. <laughs> Things are better. We have bigger houses on average. We spend less on necessities like food and clothing than they did 100 years ago. Uh, we, we have to work. We, have to, we, we used to have to work really hard just to keep the lights on. 
I mean, listen to this stat. In 1800, it took 5.4 hours of work for 1,000 lumen hours of light. In 1900, it took 0.22 hours of work. Now it takes 0.00012 hours of human labor for 1,000 lumen hours of light. In light of all this, Kevin DeYoung in his book writes this, across the globe, we are richer, healthier, and more comfortable, and we live longer than ever before. And he asks this question, but are we happier? Are we happier? He concludes this way, maybe, maybe not. I sure don't want to go back to working more than half a day a week just to keep the candles going. And yet there is no, he says, and yet there's no doubt that anxiety is on the rise. Our prosperity has not brought us peace of mind. Life is more comfortable, but it's also more complicated. In theory, we like having nearly limitless options. In reality, we are tied up in knots about what to do, where to live, and whom to marry. Speaking of the internet age, he says, we want to be connected to friends and strangers, but then again, maybe we weren't made for a round-the-clock comparison and competition. We think we want to have nonstop access to news, information, and opinions, but we also worry what it's doing to our brains, let alone to our souls, end quote. Worry is on the rise. And yet the call today from God's word is to set it aside to allow the Spirit of God to help us, to put away worry in our hearts, to remove vexation and trust in Him. Of course, you know Jesus' own words in Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We've got to remove worry. Solomon says one other thing there. He says, and to put away pain from your body for the youth, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. I think, honestly, I think what he's talking about here, as one commentator put it, is just taking care of your your mental and physical health. Those are not scare words. It's okay to think this way. And I tell people, even when they come into my office for counseling, listen, how are you sleeping? How are you doing? You need to take care of your body because it also affects your soul. So tomorrow, when you get up to run, that's good for you. It's good to even put away pain from your body in that sense because you are trying to take care of yourself. We are body and soul, church. Body and soul. This is how God made us. And so it's wise, it's wise to remove these things from our hearts. Well, we rejoice in our years, we remove worry from our hearts. And thirdly, this morning, thirdly, it's just this remember your God. Remember your God. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The command here is to remember. To remember your creator in the days of your youth. It's fascinating that Solomon uses that word creator and not God. Because that is who is meant by creator, of course. That's why in my Bible, it's capitalized. Solomon's bringing us back to the images of the garden, the garden of Eden. And I think there are a couple reasons for this. Part of the problem in the garden was that we went further than we should. We were trying to be like God, trying to be autonomous. Remember your creator simply means that we take our proper place in this world as a creature. We're a creature, not a creator. We don't go beyond our God-provided limits as creatures. So remembering your creator, it kind of puts us in our place. David Gibson, in his book, he says to remember your creator means we remember that God made a good world, not an evil one, and that we are the ones who spoiled it, not him. 
God made a good world. We spoiled it. And that word, remember, it doesn't mean that you just recall information like it's a history exam. This word, remember, actually carries the idea of action. It means that the object of your remembrance shapes your perspective on what's happening in the present. You remember your God. It actually changes the way that you live. It affects you right now. In fact, it's here, I believe, that it's where your ability to have joy will be won or lost. So one reason to remember your creator is to, to set you in your proper place. But I think there's another reason Solomon lays out. To remember your creator is to remember who God is, who you are, and how you should live. And listen, before you get too old and die. I think that's part of what Solomon's after. One pastor summarized it this way, the exhortation to remember your creator is an exhortation to remember his gifts and take pleasure in their use while you still can. You still can. You gotta enjoy God's gifts before old age kicks in and you can't anymore. Before you're at the end. If you don't, then you've actually forgotten your creator. You've forgotten him. This again is about enjoyment. It's about enjoying God and letting your remembrance of him shape your life. Listen, verse, you saw it there. He, he says, there's gonna be days of darkness that are coming in which you have no pleasure in them. It's about pleasure. You know, he mentions those evil days. He says, before the evil days come, and verses two through eight are just a description of those evil days. He puts it together in kind of a poem. You've probably read these before, but they are a picture of dying. They're a picture of dying. We're going to go through them quickly, but look down at verse 2. He says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. This is probably a picture of death itself. Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. Here we have pictures of old age personified in a house. Who, who, who are the keepers of the house? the house that are trembling? Well, those are your hands that begin to shake. My dad died just, just shy of a year ago, or just a little bit over a year ago, and his hands were beginning to shake even before. The strong men in that text, the strong men are bent. You're no longer able to bear your own weight. We see this often in people. It could be a picture of your back, back pain and muscles not working. The grinders cease because they're few. Those are your teeth. They're gone. They're gone. Those who look through windows are dim. What do you think those are? Your eyes. They're dimmed. It's hard to see. I was talking to a man once at church. He'd been caring for his aging mother, and he said, oh, we had to take her car keys away, and it was so hard. So hard. She can't drive anymore. Her eyes are likely failing. Her body is not what it once was. It's not safe for her to be on the road. Verse four, and the doors in the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of the song are, are brought low. What do you think that's describing? What are the doors? Those are your ears. Can't hear anything anymore. And, and yet with increased deafness comes even bad sleep. It says they rise at the sound of a bird. It's kind of hard to interpret that, but likely it has something to do with agitated sleep. The slightest noise. Verse 5, they're afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. Afraid of heights, uh, afraid of the streets. I, I remember my friend in high school, he said, hey, man, we're going to, he's taking me to soccer practice. Hey, my grandma's going to take us to practice. 
uh, it's going to take a little longer to get there this time. I said, why? He goes, oh, my grandma never makes left turns. Well, why not? Well, she read somewhere that you're more likely to get into a car accident if you make a left turn. And so we're going to just making right turns all the way to practice. <laughs> okay. Afraid of terrors on the way. The verse says, keep reading, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, desire fails. Listen, your hair turns white like the almond tree blossom. Your weakened body drags along like a grasshopper that's not flying. The text says desire fails, likely a picture of sexual drive, but also of tiredness. Grandpa is on the couch asleep again. This is what it's like. This is, in that sense, the days of darkness. Youth is a vapor. This will be you and I very soon. It will be you and I very soon. And if that's not clear enough, in verses 5 through 7, he makes it uber clear because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. This man is knocking on heaven's door, we might say, before the silver cord is snapped, or the, in verse 6, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Picture here is about death itself. Silver cord snapped, the bowl is broken, shattered, dust returns to the earth, you're gone. Vapor, all is vapor. And like you and I, or excuse me, like the end of the year, you and I are on the way to our own end, aren't we? Life is short. Your body and my body will begin to decay. So how should we live? What does wisdom look like? Well, it looks like remembering your creator and enjoying him and taking his good gifts and using them while you're still able to. Right now, you and I are preparing for that day. How are you doing? Church, live in such a way that now you will be joyful even when you are older. This isn't in my notes, but just this week we got word. I actually got word of two different people who died. One of them was a sweet lady named Judy Severance. This was a woman who early in her life was preparing for old age. She was sweet to the end. People who know her wanted to be like her godly, loved Christ. Listen, what are you doing right now to prepare for that day? This is the wise way to live, to rejoice in your years, remove worry from your heart, remember your creator in the days of your youth, and lastly this morning, to respond to God with worship and obedience. Probably only have time to look at just the last two verses. Let's look at them together in verses 13 and 14. Look what it says in chapter 12. The end of the matter the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is Solomon's final conclusion. He has, earlier in, that, in those verses, he talks about surveying the world. He's looked around, he's studied, he's weighed things, and he's written down his thoughts. He's wisely considered life, and his conclusion is simple. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the only right response. The only right response. We have in one little verse, in verse 13, the perspective, the only perspective that you and I need on life. This should be the purpose statement for your life and for mine, to fear God and keep his commandments. 
He says in the text that this is, this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty. This, the thought is that it's all of you. This is your whole. It's not just your duty. It's your essence. Your very essence. All of you is to fear God and keep his commandments. This is church. What is to define you? This is, as I said, the only perspective you need on life. This is wisdom. Elsewhere in the scripture, Solomon, the same Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes, would write in Proverbs 1-7 and the same thing in Proverbs 9-10. You know the verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he actually mentions the fear of the Lord four other times, and the fifth one is right here in the text we're looking at. And now he comes to the end and he says that this is our all. Fear God, keep his commandments. What is the fear of the Lord? I mean, we use that. We read those verses. I mean, we know this is where it happens. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But what is it? David Gibson, he says this, to fear God is to regard God with all the adoration, love, and obedience that rightly belong to him. To fear God is to regard God with all the adoration, love, and obedience that rightly belong to him. I mean, we could probably just summarize that and say say it like this. To fear God is to rightly worship God. To rightly worship him. To fear the Lord is just adoration, love, and obedience. But I was also greatly helped by a book by Michael Reeves called Rejoice and Tremble. Rejoice and Tremble. And he believes that there are, those are sometimes the two big pieces when it comes to the fear of the Lord. The whole book is on the fear of the Lord, but he writes this. He says, the fear of the Lord is to enjoy him and drink of his sweet water. Our desire for God and delight in him are not intended to be lukewarm. As our love for God is a trembling and wonder-filled love and fearful joy. For the object of our joy is so overwhelmingly and fearfully wonderful. You see how he's using those words? Fearful and joyful? He says, we are made to rejoice and tremble before God, to love and enjoy him with an intensity that is fitting for him. Listen, when we fear God and we drink of his sweet water, we experiencing, experience him with a fearful joy. I had a picture of this just a couple years ago. My daughters had gotten a new toy, I think it was for one of my daughter's birthday, and it was this little owl. And you charged it via USB, and then you could turn it on, and it would... And in the living room, it actually would take off. And even I was like, well, I don't believe it. You know, like, this isn't going to happen. And the first time we did it, I watched my younger daughter off to the side. I wish that I would have taken video of this. I still, ah, oh, it bugs me. <laughs> but I'm watching, and as it starts to, to spin, I can see her eyes. <gasps> and she's, she's excited, but she's kind of scared. You know that feeling? This, you're on the verge. Like, what's going to happen? And, and, and I've never forgotten. As soon as it lifted off, she was, ah! And she just screamed. But it was a scream of, like, relief because it's safe, but a, a scream of joy because it's so cool. And I think sometimes that's the picture that Solomon wants us to have of God. A fearful joy. We come near his presence, and we experience him. We're, we have that fear, but we... Also, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Far greater than an owl flying in my living room is the creator God. Is the creator God. 
This needs to be our perspective on God. We need the fearful joy that brings ultimate joy. We, we tremble and, and we have wonder-filled, fearful joy. Listen, to fear God and keep his commandments is to have a God-focused life. It's putting the Lord before anything and anyone. When you fear God, it will change how you young people exist in your home. When you fear God, it will change how you respond when people hurt you. When you fear God, it will change how you deal with trials. You're going through a cancer, fear God. You're going through a bad business deal, fear God. Do what he says, trust him. When you fear God, your focus will be on him and pleasing him. And you do that. And, and as you do, you will please other people as well. Fear God and keep his commandments. When you fear God, you will do everything for him and him alone. And here's the most ironic thing about fearing God. When you fear God, you'll actually be less fearful. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's a paradox. We can't control the world. We talked about it. It's vapor. And we get anxious because we've lost control. But when we fear God and keep his commandments, we find that our anxieties are just tossed out into the garbage. Why? Because we rest and trust in the creator God. He's in complete control, church. Our duty is to fear him. This is our essence. When you fear God, you become less fearful. Listen, this is just a sample of what we could have taken away. There's much more even verses 9 through 11. But look, lastly, and I'm going to close with this. Look at how Solomon closes his book. He says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Twice in this text, he's talked about judgment. Twice. Listen, church, as we come to the end of our year, let us remember that one day we will come to the end ourselves and we will be brought into judgment. Nothing, and what that means is that nothing we do is meaningless. He says, whether every secret thing, whether good or evil, what are you doing to prepare for that day? What are you doing now to live wisely? It's not just about the end of 2023 or the new year. It's about the end of your own life. We need to prepare now for the coming day of the Lord in which he, we, he will judge everything we do. And listen, I'll just add this. That includes how you enjoyed his good gift. This isn't just about our sin. We, we know that, we understand that, but it's also the good things he says, whether good or evil. Church, four biblical reminders to live wisely in 2024. Rejoice in your years, remove worry from your heart, remember your God, and respond to your God with worship and adoration. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I want this to be true of my own life. Lord, that each and every day when I wake up, I wake up and go, thank you, Lord, for another day of life. And I wake up and I I praise you and remember you as creator, which causes me to change, causes me to take action, to do things that would honor you out of fear of you, out of worship of you, and in obedience to you. Lord, we want this for our church. We want this in our lives. So help us in these things, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.